Hey, I love, one of the things I love when, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to the room, but there's a passage of scripture that, that talks about God being pleased with the prayers of the people going up. And it's just so cool for me to just stand here and listen to the prayers all, all over the room. Well done. Hey, a couple of more quick announcements. Uh, this today at six o'clock, we have something called Pizza with a Pastor. Uh, it's just a simple way for us to get to know you and you to get to know us, uh, and you get free pizza, so we can't go wrong with that. Uh, we just need to know that you're coming, so just stop at the information counter and let Paula know that you're new and you want to come uh, meet some of the staff and just have a good conversation with us. It's really a very low-key, uh, not a big agenda, just mostly just eating together and talking and getting to know one another uh, and maybe just sharing a little bit of how you can get more connected at Grace. But it's a good chance for you to get to know us and for me to begin putting names and faces uh, together. Next Saturday is the SOAR Run Walk. If you know, we have set an objective to... Yeah, well, wait, I'll tell you the good news first. Uh, we set an objective to teach every willing third grader in Detroit to read at or above grade level. And uh, we have churches... We're going from one site to right now it's 10 sites. It's probably still growing. Uh, Matt's doing an incredible job with that, but it literally is going to take uh, millions of dollars, probably $4 million next year to accomplish what God wants to do. We're believing God for that, but the run is one of the ways we raise money, and so I would love for you just to show up as a way of supporting us and either run or you can walk the 5K. It's only a little over three miles, uh, and you can just walk with us. I'm probably going to walk because I haven't done any training, so no shame in walking, at least I hope not, um, but we would love for you to be there and be a part of the run. You can just go to the soardetroit.com, and there'll be a link right there. You can sign up. Uh, let's just show up in force and support this uh, worthy cause, okay? Grab your Bibles, your readers, whatever you use. Uh, I want to encourage you to bring your Bible on Sundays. Actually, I'd like to encourage you to bring a journal too, something to write in. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, there's Bibles under your seat. If you're in the front row, you could reach behind you and grab one of those red Bibles. Uh, turn to the book of Colossians. It's uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the red Bibles under your seat, page 983. Um, Colossians is a letter that's written, most scholars would agree, by the Apostle Paul, and it's written to a church, ironically, that he's never been to, in a city that maybe he had visited, but he hadn't visited the believers in that city. As a matter of fact, a guy named Epaphras actually uh, established the church, and he worked for Paul, so Paul would have had an apostolic relationship with that church, and the church certainly would have known who Paul was. His reputation would have been well-known, and they would have known him as the bishop, if you will. They wouldn't have called him the bishop, but, but kind of that role. And, and he, one of his people, planted the church, and he's writing to the church, right? And, and he's writing because he's heard about them, but he's also writing because there's something that's gone askew in that particular church. There's something going on in, this, in the church in Colossae where, where we know they're, they're getting something wrong in their theology and the way they're living out their faith. But the interesting thing is we have no idea what it is or how it is they were getting it wrong. And I actually think that's to our advantage because if we knew exactly what they were doing, then we would be likely to not apply Colossians to us. So let me give you more of an example of what I'm saying. And let's just say that, that the church in Colossae, if, if their problem was they were worshiping Jesus and the moon, right, then we would read it and we would say to ourselves, well, this doesn't apply to me because I don't worship the moon, right? Or maybe they worship cats and you'd say, well, I don't worship cats, so this doesn't apply to me. But the fact that we don't know what they were getting wrong means that we can read it and we can apply it to our own lives. There's another passage of scripture uh, that I think is, is to our benefit this way. So if you remember in Corinthians, Paul talks about uh, having a thorn in his flesh, 
right? And so scholars have debated for literally 2,000 years, well, what is the thorn in Paul's flesh? What does it mean? And well, all we know is it really wasn't a thorn, or at least we're assuming it wasn't a thorn, that it was some kind of metaphor for either a spiritual or physical affliction. And I've heard everything from Paul was short, which I'm not sure that's an affliction, but I've heard that. I've heard that he had a speech impediment. I heard that he had a sin nature. I heard that he, that he was tormented by a demon. I've heard everything you could think of I've heard to describe what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. But what did Paul say? I, I had this thorn in the flesh. I asked for God to remove it. But God has told me that his grace... It's sufficient for me. And so how can we apply that to our own lives? Anytime we have any kind of affliction in our lives, whether it's spiritual or physical, God's grace, God's love, God's mercy is sufficient to carry us through. And if we'd have known exactly what Paul's problem was, then we'd be more likely to say, well, yeah, but that's not what I'm dealing with, right? And the same is true for this church in Colossae. They, they're, they're getting something wrong. And what I want you to hear is that on one level or another, we all get it wrong. Somewhere in our walk with Jesus, somewhere in our theology, somewhere in the way we live out our faith, we're, we're missing it at some level. So there's so much application in the book of Colossians for us. There's so many places where we can apply this to our own lives, right? And what we tend to do is we tend to say, yeah, it's Jesus, but it's Jesus and something else. It's, it's Jesus and working harder. Right? It's, it's Jesus and following all the rules. It's Jesus and a little bit of luck. Right? It's, it's Jesus and maybe astrology. Like We all have a way of doing something. It's called syncretism. We take two different belief systems and we merge them together. And, and what I want you to hear, when I say we, I mean we, I'm part of we, all have a tendency to add to Jesus. To say it's Jesus and even if we don't even know we're doing it, kind of in our subconscious we do it. And, and the problem is when we do it, it drains us of all of our energy, right? So when, when you try to get something out of life, from some, if you try to get what you're supposed to get from God from anything else, it's going to leave you wanting, Right? It's going to leave you tired and it's going to leave you exhausted. So as we move into a series called Enough Enough, part of what I want you to see and part of what we're going to see as we study the book of Colossians is that Jesus is enough. And anytime we lean into other things to get what we need other than Jesus, that it will leave us wanting, it will leave us tired, it will leave us weary, but Jesus is enough. So that's kind of the, the overarching message of Colossians that we need to sink into. Right? Many of us in the room are weary and we're tired and it's because we've been trying to get from something or someone what we're supposed to get from Jesus. Right? Okay. So the letter is written to us for the express purpose of getting our priorities in order. Okay, that's what Colossians is all about. It's a letter written to help you, to help me, to help the church in Colossae get their priorities straight. Okay, so we're going to read Colossians 1, verses 1 through 14. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, 
which has come to you and is indeed the whole world that is bearing fruit and increasing. And it also does among you since the day you've heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and he has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased praying for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being straight, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13 says, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son and whom we have redemption for the forgiveness of sins. Good news, right? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for this incredible letter. Thank you for the journey that you have set us on over the next 10 weeks to study this beautiful letter. Uh, I just pray that you would stir in our hearts a desire to be here, to learn, to, to absorb all that you have for us in the letter uh, written to the church in Colossae. Would we just uh, have a hungry desire for more understanding of who you are and all that you've done for us, that you have delivered us, you have forgiven us through your son. Pray that as I talk this morning, that whatever I I say that's of you would uh, bear fruit, that it would just land in fertile soil, and anything I say that's not of you would just fall away. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we have here in these opening 14 verses is we have basically a, a, an introduction, a, a salutation, if you will, and, and we have a, a prayer. And it's really the prayer that we're going to spend the bulk of our time on. But what Paul is saying to the church is he's saying in the, in the opening verses, we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all of the saints. Now, in, the, in this case, the saints isn't those pillars of faith that have gone before and have passed away. He's not talking about the Mother Teresas of the world. What he's talking about is all of the believers. When you see saints in the Bible, more often than not, it's talking about all of the believers. Did you know you're a saint? Yes. Biblically speaking, if you've said yes to Jesus, you are a saint, right? So he's saying, what we've heard about is how well you guys love one another. As I was putting the sermon together, I was just thinking to myself, how cool would it be if Paul were writing us a letter? Well, actually, it'd be kind of creepy because, you know, he's been dead for a while. But if he were alive and he was writing us a letter to the church, not Grace Community Church, but to the church in Metro Detroit, and he would say, I heard about the church in Detroit. And I heard about how well you love one another, how well you work together as churches, how well you, you move. I just think that would be a powerful thing. And it's a powerful thing for this church to hear Paul affirm them and say, you have this great love for one another. Look at the beginning of verse six. It says, of this you have heard before the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you. And what he's saying is, I've heard that you love one another and I wanna remind you <clears throat> Excuse me. I want to remind you of the gospel. 
And when he talks about the gospel, when we see the word gospel in the New Testament, what we need to think about is all that Jesus has accomplished, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and all that it accomplishes. When we are singing today and we're talking about the kingdom of God coming, that's part of the gospel. As a matter of fact, if you look in the New Testament writings, very often the gospel and the kingdom of God are, are linked together, that they went around preaching about the gospel and the kingdom of of God. And so there's something that, that is all encompassing when we hear the word gospel. It's about all that's been accomplished in Christ, all that happened on that cross, all that happened in the resurrection, all the power that comes with that. And it also points forward to what's going to happen when Jesus returns. So that word gospel is loaded with meaning, right? So what Paul is saying is, I want to bring you back to the gospel, the message that you heard and how important it is to you. What he's doing is he's setting up this entire letter. He's telling him, this is where I'm gonna go as I write you this letter. So Paul's writing to this church plant and he's telling him his, co his colleagues and, and him have been praying for them faithfully. And what I love about this, he doesn't just say, I've been praying for you. He tells them exactly what he's been praying for them. So this is a great place for application for you. And how many of you have ever said, hey, I'll pray for you. How many of you ever said that to somebody? Okay, and how many of you have not done it? Come on, my hand's up. Right, it's pretty easy. Yeah, I'll pray for you, and then you realize four weeks later, oh, you know, I never really prayed for that person, right? It's not a good thing, it's just a thing, if we're being honest with ourselves. And what I wanna encourage you to is, uh, A, if you're gonna tell somebody you're gonna pray for them, to pray for them, but the encouragement I wanna give you is, why not communicate to them what you're praying for them? Why not send them an email or a text or a letter if anybody still writes letters? Um, I, it's been a long time since I received an actual handwritten letter, but uh, if you do letters, that's great. But how powerful would it be to say to your friend, hey, I've been praying for you, and here is what I've been praying for. And I guarantee you that that word will be so much more encouraging than just the platitude of, hey, I'm praying for you. Here's what I've been praying for you. I've been praying for, I, it's ironic, I, the, yesterday I got a text from a fellow pastor about our Saturday launch, and he said, hey, I've been praying for you and praying for grace, and then he told me exactly what he's been praying for, and that was very encouraging to me. It showed me that we were on his heart. It showed me that it wasn't just a, a platitude, right? He said, I'm praying for you, and here's what I'm praying. So, so that's the first challenge of this morning. If you're gonna pray for people, use it as a level of accountability to say, hey, I'm gonna pray for you, and then follow up up with them and tell them exactly how you're going to pray. And here's the deal. When Paul tells the church in Colossae how he's praying, what he's telling them is, this is what's important to me, right? What you pray for is what's important to you. So, so think of it this way. If you're praying for your kids, right? And, and this is a good application, right? Tell your kids how you're praying for them. What you pray for them is what's important to you. So if you're praying for them to be really popular, Right? And you say, I've been praying for you to be the most popular kid in school. That could cause some problems, right? But if you're praying for their character and that they would have a, a great impact in their schools and that people would see Jesus in them, then tell them that. Say, hey, I've been, I pray for you every morning, son. I pray for you in the morning, daughter. And I just, I just want you to have godly character. And I want your classmates to see Christ in you. And, and I'm proud of you. Go to school. And So what are you doing? You're not only praying for them, but you're communicating, here's what's important to me 
in your life. That makes sense? So there's a great application for us. The other application is pay attention to what you pray for yourself because what you're praying for yourself also is a good indicator of what's important to you. So if you're praying for a bigger house or more stuff or a shinier car or I don't know, whatever it is, it, it, you can sometimes stop. If you're praying that you win the lottery every day more than you're praying that God would grow your character, it's just a good indicator that some of your priorities, right, might have, we all laugh, but there's truth in this. If you just listen to what you earnestly beseech God for, it's gonna be a good indicator of what's in your heart. Our prayers really tell us what's important to us. So Paul says to them, hey, I'm praying for you. As a matter of fact, what he says is, from the day we heard of you, We've not ceased praying for you. How powerful is that? We, we pray for you all the time is what he's saying. Paul is a man of prayer. And what he knows to be true is that as I pray for you, I pray that you will keep your eyes on Jesus. And as you keep your eyes on Jesus, as you keep your focus on Jesus, there are gonna be these outcomes that comes from it. So he prays for the outcomes in his prayer. And we're just gonna walk through seven outcomes when you put Jesus first in your life. And you see all seven of these in Paul's prayer. And Paul knows, so he tells them, remember the gospel. And I pray that as you remember the gospel, these outcomes will be true of you. So John's gonna help me to uh, uh, use kind of a uh, graphic illustration of uh, the seven outcomes. And I just as a way of true confession, um, this is sort of a puzzle uh, that you'll see come together. And I tried to put it together yesterday morning. Then I had to call John and said, um, I can't put this thing together. That's why, I guess that's why they call it a puzzle. Uh, so John is gonna help me assemble it to save me some embarrassment. So the first outcome, look at verse nine. Verse nine says that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So the, the first outcome is that you would be discerning. And the idea of discerning here is uh, different than just discerning general things in life. The discernment in this case is that you would know the will of God in your life. That, so it says that you would, that you would have a, a clear understanding. Look at the passage. Filled with the knowledge of his will, spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is the idea of knowing what God wants you to do. This is the idea of having some type of, of understanding of what God has called you to do, what God has made you to do, what God has equipped you to do. It's a beautiful picture of living out Ephesians 2.10. And I, I know I say Ephesians 2.10 a lot here. It's one of the core verses that we operate on as a church, but it says that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do a good work that God created in advance for you to do. And the discernment is knowing what is that good work that God created in advance for me to do. And what I want you to hear is it's way more than your job. It's, it's how, you, how you move towards and serve your family. It's how you move towards and serve uh, your community, your, your neighborhood. It's how you move and serve within your church. It's this understanding that here are my gifts, here are my talents, here's all the things that God has given me, and how do I leverage them and do the very thing that God wants me to do? So the first thing that comes is we put our focus on Jesus as we become discerning. The second thing that we see in this prayer and it's in verse 10, is that we are faithful, right? So what does he say? Look at verse 10. It says, as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So first we understand what it is God wants us to do. 
Well, the assumption there is if you have your eyes on Jesus, if you're focused on Jesus and you know what he wants you to do, that you will be faithful to actually do it. So we say all the time here, the heart of discipleship is to hear and obey. It's not enough just to know what God wants you to do. You have to be willing to actually do what God wants you to do. So Paul is saying, I pray for you. I pray that you would be focused on Jesus and I pray that you would discern what he wants from you. And I pray that you would be faithful to do what God wants you to do. And the, and the, and the, the bottom line here is it's in doing what God calls us to do that the greatest satisfaction in life comes. All right, so when you put your eyes on Jesus, you're discerning, you're faithful. And the third thing is you're productive. Look at the middle of verse 10. It says, bearing fruit in every good work. And then this idea of bearing fruit is that, that good things complicated, isn't it? No, not like that. I'm just kidding. I, don't, I have no idea where it goes. Productive. The idea here is if you discern what God wants you to do, right, and you're faithful to do what God wants you to do, that you're gonna be productive, fruitful in doing it. Why are you fruitful? Because you're doing the very thing you were created to do. You're operating in your sweet spot. You're, you're producing. And, and this is kind of goes back to a few weeks ago when we just talked about all of us serving in the gifting that we have. It's when the church actually functions at its best. It's when we are the most fruitful. And Paul says, look, if you just keep your eyes on Jesus, you're gonna know what he wants you to do. You're gonna be faithful to do what he wants you to do. And you're gonna bear fruit in every Good work. How powerful is that? Put your eyes on Jesus. You're discerning, you're faithful, you're productive, and the next one is you are maturing. So look at the second part of uh, verse 10. It says, increasing in the knowledge of God. So we talked about knowledge of God's will to start it out, and that was the idea of, of discerning, but now he's talking about you actually will come to know God more. You will mature in your faith. So as you keep your eyes on Jesus, your faith will become stronger and stronger. Actually, Jesus was the one who said, if you see me, you see God. And Colossians tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that we can't really know God apart from Jesus anyway. Jesus is the revelation of God in our lives. So the more you focus on Jesus, the more you understand who Jesus is, you the more you understand all that he sacrificed for you, the more that you understand the level of which he went to to redeem you, the more your eyes are on Jesus, the more you're going to understand the love of God and the care of God and the mercy of God, that Jesus is our only way to have full knowledge of God. And as we focus on him, our knowledge of God grows more and more, and we mature as followers of Christ. When we focus on Jesus, we're discerning, faithful, we're productive, we're maturing. And then look at verse 11. It says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance. We're empowered. Spin it this way. Thanks. This is a powerful verse. Just look at it again. It says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance. 
So the question I have for you this morning is how many of you are just tired? How many of you are weary? I think it's an epidemic actually. And what I've come to to see even as I put this talk together is part of the reason we're so tired is because we've spent so much time doing the things we're not supposed to do And those are the things that are draining us of our energy. And the passage is saying, look, when you keep your eyes on Jesus and you discern what you're supposed to do and you're faithful to do it and you're you're maturing in your faith, that I'm going to empower you. And actually, the more you're serving in your sweet spot, the more you're doing what God has called you to do, the more energy you have, it's life-giving. But when you do the things you know you're not supposed to do, when you spend your energy on things you're not supposed to spend your energy, it sucks the life out of you. It wears you out and you're weary because you're doing things you shouldn't be doing. When you put your eyes on Jesus, you're discerning. You know what God wants you to do. You're faithful. You're doing the very things God has called you to do. You're productive because you're operating in your sweet spot. You're maturing because your eyes are on Jesus, who is the revelation of God. You're empowered because the spirit of God is is giving you life as you serve and as you you, you do the things he's called you to do. And and again, that goes way beyond your job. This is all encompassing of our life. And the sixth one is that you are joyful. Second part of verse 11 says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for patience and joy. You really should have seen me here. Which way are we going this time? This way? I was up on the stage yesterday morning. I, I could not for the life of me put this puzzle together. Help. So funny. Every time, every time I built it, there was a hole somewhere. I was like, I don't get it. I'm not a good puzzle builder, obviously. Might be a testament to my IQ. I'm not sure. But anyway, joyful. Uh, I have been uh, on a journey, actually since the Lenten season, uh, I really felt like God laid it on my heart that I needed to be more joyful. That what I would really want from you uh, is to see joy in me. That I would like, if people were to describe Doug, that they would say, man, he is just a joyful guy. And I don't think that's the truth. Uh, I mean, I don't think that's how people describe me. Uh, Serious, uh, sometimes stoic. I get lots of words, but joyful is almost never one of them. Um, But I want to be. I want to be joyful. And I want the joy of the Lord to be my strength. And I want you to see joy in me. And I want the joy that you see to be very contagious. And I want you to want, and I think inside I, I am joyful. Meg sometimes says, I say, I'm joyful. And she says, you should tell your face, right? Like, <laughs> I get that. I get it. So, but, but here's, what I'm, here's what I'm learning. When I, and, and I, this is just, You know, if this makes you nervous, I'm sorry. I'm just a guy trying to figure out how to walk with Jesus just like you are. Um, When I try to get anything from someone or something that I am supposed to get from Jesus, it steals my joy. And I find myself doing it. And what God is bringing me back to is, you want to be joyful? Put your eyes on me. You want to be joyful? Follow me and nothing else. Don't elevate those other things. We do it all the time as followers of Christ, and it, and it robs us and it steals us of our joy. Imagine if grace was just known as a church full of joyful people. How contagious that would be. All right. 
And the last piece of the puzzle and the last thing we see in Paul's prayer in the beginning of Colossians is found in verse 12. It says, giving thanks to the Father. The fact of the matter is, oh, it's that way. Special round of applause for John Jackson. Thank you, John. Nice puzzle, huh? We should also thank Dorothea. She volunteered to come in and tape all these boxes together. Took her a full day to make it, but thank you, Dorothea. What I want you to see is, is how it all comes together. Right? It all fits together. The reason we wanted to use the puzzle is because it's just a good picture of all of the different pieces coming together to make this, this thing. And any one of them missing, you would see it missing right, right away. But the fact that you, you discern what you're supposed to do and you're faithful to do it and, and you're fruitful in doing it and you're maturing in your faith and you have great joy and it, it all is going to create this, this heart of thanksgiving. Like, gosh, this is, this is good. Right? What I get to do, it's awesome. What God has called me to do, there's a, there's a heart of thanksgiving that's gonna flow out of us getting this right, out of us keeping our eyes focused on Jesus. So here's my desire for this morning, is that you would see that God is offering something and you would just receive it. The heart of the message this morning is we all have an unhealthy tendency to lean into things we shouldn't lean into, to try to draw from people or things what we should be drawing from Jesus, and it drains us and it leaves us tired and exhausted. And the things that we cling to in inappropriate ways, ironically, quite often, they're not bad things. Things like our job, it could be our kids, it could be our comfort, it could be our need for control, it could be popularity. Sometimes it's things that we know it, we shouldn't, sometimes it's a sin nature, but often the things that we elevate into an inappropriate place are the good things that God gave us, right? And it takes intentionality to bring our focus back on Christ. When we cling to anything other than Jesus, when we cling to anything other than Jesus, turn to anything other than Jesus, those things become idols in our lives. And the scriptures actually say those who cling to worthless idols forfeit what God has for them. So God has all this for you, but it's the idols of our lives that keep us from taking hold of it, right? It's those things that we've elevated. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the very grace that God has for them. Rechurch is, is pretty clear. It shows that depression, exhaustion, and anxiety are an all-time high in the United States, right? People are crying out. People are screaming, enough is enough. They are exhausted and tired, and I believe that Jesus is standing at the door, and he's knocking, and he's just saying, I, I have peace for you. I have what you need. In Christ, you have everything you need, Right, it's a beautiful picture. Jesus says, hey, all you guys who are weary and tired, all of you who are heavy burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. He says, in me, you will find rest for your soul. 
So John's going to come up, and uh, I asked him to come up and sing uh, the song that we sang during baptism. I love the song. It's a new song for us, and I want you to learn it because we're going to continue to do this song. Um, but I just want us to sing it as a declaration. And I want you to think about uh, what we've talked about. I want you to just make some internal declarations. And some of you may need to come down here and just kneel at the front and say a prayer of confession as our friend Martin has taught us. Sometimes we need to leave things here and take things with us. And that's the invitation. We have prayer people who are happy to pray with you, but you're welcome to do some private business uh, with God down here if that's what you want. But just want to invite you that the altar's open. Uh, no pressure again if you want to do that. Uh, but John is going to sing, and I just want to encourage you to sing as well, to, to really let the words of this song penetrate your heart. The other thing I just want to encourage you to do is come back. We're just beginning a journey, and one of the most exciting letters, in my opinion, in the New Testament, Colossians, has much to tell us about who Jesus is and all that he's done for us. So continue to come back over the next few weeks and take it all in. So let's sing. You're my constant in the chaos. You're my compass when the road is long. You're my portion, never failing for me, only Jesus.
ask for, but my heart want for only you. I pray that for us as a church. I pray that for me as a leader. May all of our eyes be solely focused on you. Help us to see those areas of our lives where we've taken hold of the wrong things and help us to take hold firmly of the right things. Thank you for the gift of community. Thank you for all the work that you're doing in the hearts of the people right now. I just pray for each person down here, those in their seats who are doing some work with you as well. We just pray for them. We ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. We ask that you would do more than we could ask, think, or imagine according to the power of the Spirit that's at work within us. In Jesus' name, amen. You're welcome to stay down here if you want to continue to pray. Uh, we have a surprise for you. There's food in the lobby. Uh, we would love for you to stay and just have some food and enjoy uh, some community back there, uh, but we would just love for you to, to be a part of that. So God bless you. See you in the lobby.